friends, let us now listen to Brother Mel Caparos, pastor of Living Word Christian Churches of Cebu International. to go to God's Word at this time, so can you please rise from your seats and let's take a look at Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 9 to 17. And at the count of three, we will all read together aloud, all right? One, two, read. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many people's. So you are sinning against yourself. Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to you who make your neighbors drunk, drink, who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk so as to look on their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and other disgrace will come upon your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrify them. Because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and bless you for this wonderful morning of worship. It is indeed a wonderful thing to exalt and praise your holy name. Because there is no one like you. You have no rival you alone are holy, transcendent over every human being and over every creation that you have made. And so we thank you, Lord, that we could humble ourselves at least once a week on a Sunday morning just to be able to declare, Lord, that you are the almighty God. And today, Lord, we pray that you will accomplish all of your good purposes. We pray for each one who has come here, Lord. You know what is the content of our hearts. You know if there are people who are troubled. You know if there are people who are discouraged. You know if there are people who are feeling high emotionally. Lord, whatever the emotional or spiritual state of your people, I pray that you might give us the power to be able to concentrate and listen intently to your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we do that, you might speak to us, not just on a congregational level, but Lord, may you speak to us on an individual level as well. Speak to us personally and specifically so that we might know your personal will for us, O oh God. I pray for myself, Lord, that you might use me as a conduit of blessing to your people. So I pray that the Holy Spirit might empower me. And Lord, whatever is going to be achieved today, 
we will give you back the glory, the praises, and the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's be seated in the presence of the Lord. I've entitled this morning's sermon, The Folly of Immoral Gain. Now, I'm sure that you are already aware that there are some people who make gains, but they make gains through dishonest, immoral, and even destructive ways. And this is exactly the story of Babylon. Babylon became a very powerful nation, but they became a very powerful nation at the expense of other nations that they had plundered, that they had looted, and that they had destroyed. Now, for some people, enjoying the fruits of their evil ways, they begin to think that they will continue to enjoy those fruits perpetually. But you and I know that God is watching and that ultimately God is the judge, not only of individuals, He is the judge of all nations. And therefore, whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap, or we could also say, whatsoever a nation sows, it shall also reap. If we sow good things, we will reap good things. If we, reap, if we sow bad things, then we will reap bad things as well. Now, in so far as the Babylonians were concerned, the money, so to speak, that they had earned was blood money. There was blood in their blood money. Allow me to present to you the Babylonians' evil gain in three manifestations, which, again, I would show you on the screen. So please uh, pay attention to this. So let's take a look at the three points that we will study today. First, in verses 9 to 11, we're going to talk about the immoral gain of the Babylonians at the expense of others. In verse 9, it talks about the misery of it. In verse 10, it talks about the shame and the sin of it. And then in verse 11, it talks about the record of it. In point number two, we're going to talk about immoral gain through violence. Now, there is progression in this particular uh, section. And in verses 12 to 14, in verse 12, we find the misery of it. In verse 13, the uselessness of it. And then in verse 14, the defeat of it. And then in our final point, we're going to talk about the immoral gain through malicious scheming and destruction of others, which is found in verses 15 to 17. We find the misery of it in verse 15, the disgrace, decimation, and judgment of God in it in verse 16. And finally, we're going to take a look at the sowing of it in verse 17. So we go straight away to the immoral gain at the expense of others. By the way, uh, you might be thinking, are we just simply talking on a national level in this particular case or on a global level? No. I believe that although this deals with the nation of Babylon, we have to somehow see that there are principles here that are applicable to us on an individual level. And obviously, uh, if we go to the bottom line of this passage, it is really teaching us about integrity and honesty. And I believe that that is how we should be conducting our lives, most especially as believers in Christ, 
When people see our lives, they should see our lives as that of a person of integrity. And once again, we will do uh, a practical study of that as we move forward in our study. But first of all, let's talk about the mystery of immoral gain as found in verse 9. It says, Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to put his nest on high, to be delivered from the hand of calamity. Now, you have probably heard the uh, cliche that says, the end justifies the means. How many of you have heard that statement? The end justifies the means. And so basically what, what that is saying is that for as long as we have good results, it doesn't really matter how we do it. So this is the philosophy of a lot of people. And so uh, they work on a philosophy of expedience, they work on a philosophy by which they're able to acquire results, but then again, they're not concerned about the morality of it. They're not concerned about the ethics of it. And once again, this is wrong. This is actually sinful, I would say. Just to share to you some quotes from a few people, from Alan Patton, this is what he said. Ask yourself not if this or that is expedient, but if it is right. Let me say it again. Ask yourself not if this or that is expedient, but if it is right. And again, this is a very important principle. We need to work righteousness in our lives. Yesterday morning, as I was in prayer, in preparation for our congregational prayer and fasting, the Lord gave me a word. He reminded me of a very important word, and that word that He gave to me is the word righteousness. And so I began to ask the Lord, Lord, you're giving me this word. What about righteousness? And then God began to speak to my heart, and He began to say, regardless of your feeling, you must always do the right thing. Regardless of your feeling, you must always do the right thing. And practically, that is what righteousness is all about. Righteousness is about doing the right thing. Of course, there will be times when doing the right thing can be very challenging, most especially because it might threaten, for example, your, 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 your sustenance, rather, or it might threaten your job, it might threaten your business, so if you're going to do certain things, you're probably afraid that if you do the right thing, you might lose your job or you might lose a business. Well, again, regardless of the results, what God calls us to do is to do the right thing. Again, it has to do with righteousness. Now, Sophocles, a well-known philosopher, said this as well. I would prefer even to fail with honor than win by cheating. Again, I would prefer even to fail with honor than win by cheating. And some people are not bothered by the fact that they win, but they win by cheating. But then again, if you really search your conscience, it's not really something that, that is worthy of exaltation. And sadly, there are some people who are given to cheating. Theodore Roosevelt said this as well. 
he goes, No man is justified in doing evil on the grounds of expedience. Again, no man is justified in doing evil on the grounds of expedience. The gain of the Babylonians was blood money. And for what was it all for? It was all for the sake of their house. It was all for the sake of their empire. It was all for the sake of their glory. They secured themselves at the expense of other people, at the expense of other nations. And you and I know, based on our studies, how cruel these Babylonians were. They actually made spectacles even of kings that they had conquered. They would put them on cages and they would uh, display them in the streets. That was how cruel they were. They didn't care about the poor. They didn't care about those who were old. They didn't care about the children. They didn't care about the women. They were very cruel. And again, they were doing it all for the sake of wealth. They were doing it all for the sake of power. The Chaldeans had sought to make their cities impregnable and inaccessible to the enemy. Again, how? At the expense of other nations. That is why the beginning word in this particular passage is the word woe, all right? It says, woe to him who gets evil gain for his house. And the word woe is actually a phrase that speaks of misery because of the impending judgment that is about to take place. And so the point really of Habakkuk and the point of God in this particular passage is that God is watching all the time. There is never a time that God is not watching. He is the witness of everything that you and I do. Now, my wife yesterday uh, got to share in our congregational prayer and fasting, and she shared a little story about our grandson, who, by the way, slept over for about five nights. My eldest son, TJ, had to conduct uh, a wedding in Cagayan de Oro, and so because of that, our eldest grandson, Marco, was left with us. And so one particular night, we, we turned off the lights. And as soon as we turned off the lights, my grandson asked uh, my wife, Ai, that's how he, how he calls his grandmother, he calls her Ai. Ai, can God see us when it is dark? And, of course, he was, he was thinking about the fact that I had turned off the lights. And so his eye said, yes, God can still see us. And he goes, what? And then he says, what if I just whisper? Can God hear what I am saying? And again, his eye said, yes, even if it is a very faint whisper God can still hear you and then he goes again what does God have magic and of course my wife had to explain it's not about magic it's about the omniscience of God it's about God knowing everything and this whole passage really is teaching us that whatever you and I do God is the witness of it and that is why it is incumbent on our part to work righteousness in our lives because God takes note 
of every right thing we do. And not only does He take note of every right thing we do, God takes note of every wrong thing we do. God takes note of every sin that we commit. God, in fact, is the perfect judge because He does not only judge us on the basis of what we do, but He judges us on the basis of our thoughts, our intentions, and even our motives. God is the perfect judge. And He is the witness of all these things. Not just what we do, but what we think. And He can do that because He is the almighty, omniscient God. And again, that is what is implicitly being taught to us in this passage. Now, not only do we find the misery of immoral gain in this particular section, we find the shame and the sin of it as found in verse 10. Can you take a look at verse 10 at this time? It goes, You have devised a shameful thing for your house by cutting off many peoples, so you are sinning against yourself. God considers such immoral gain as shameful, most especially because it was done by cutting off other people for their own personal betterment. Now, let's stop here for a while. Let's ask ourselves the question. When people describe our lives, can they describe our lives as, as that of integrity and honesty? Can people say that we play, so to speak, we play fairly? And that we do not have this crab mentality wherein we're pulling down people just so we can be on top. Can we honestly say in our hearts that we are people who are honest? And again, that implicitly is what is being taught here. Now, they were in effect as well sinning against themselves because take a look at this last phrase. So, you are sinning against yourself. Now, why? Because these things that they were doing were not hidden in the sight of God as we mentioned a while ago. God knows everything. And eventually, they would be bringing God's wrath upon themselves. Because again, there was no repentance on their part. And they were gaining immorally. They were gaining through destructive ways. And God was watching. And God was going to judge in His own time. And here's a very important principle. If we do harm to other people the harm that we do to others will return to us. Can I say that once again? If we do harm to other people, that harm that we do will return on our heads. And I'd like to use the example of Haman in the book of Esther chapter 9. Take a look at Esther chapter 9 verses 24 and 25, please. It says, For Haman... The son of Hamedatha, the Agagite, the adversary of all the Jews, had schemed against the Jews to destroy them and had cast per, that is the lot, to disturb them and destroy them. But when it came to the king's attention, he commanded by letter that his wicked scheme, which he had devised against the Jews, watch this, should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. 
What Haman desired was to destroy and exterminate the Jewish race. And yet, what does the Bible say? The Bible says whatever he planned for the Jews returned on his own head. By the way, what's quite interesting with the book of Esther is that you will not find the name of God at all in all of the pages of the book of Esther. And yet, in spite of the absence of the name of God, you see the hand, you see the fingerprints of the work of God. That is why one of the teachings that you can actually discover in the book of Esther is the providential dealings of God, how He arranges circumstances, how, is, how He is able to deal with people by doing certain things. And behind the scenes, we see God is actually at work. So just because we don't see God, just because we don't hear God, just because we don't see the name of God in the pages of the book of Esther, it doesn't mean that He is not at work. Remember this, God is always at work. There is never a season, there is never a time, not even a second, wherein God is not at work. God's providential dealings are always present in our lives and in the lives of nations. And this is exactly what you and I see. That is why, again, the word righteousness should come into our minds and we should never ever think of doing wrong to other people because if we attempt to do wrong to other people, it will return to us. Now, there was this fable about two eagles. This was shared by D.L. Moody. And so, these two eagles were actually competing with one another, but one eagle actually was able to soar higher than this other eagle. And that made this other eagle quite envious. And so one day, again, this is a fable, one day, this envious eagle saw this archer, saw this hunter. And so he, he said to the hunter while the other eagle was soaring on high, he said, it would be nice for you to be able to hit that eagle. And the hunter said, well, I would like to do that, but my arrow doesn't have a feather. To which this envious eagle decided to pluck one of his feathers and give it to the hunter. And so the hunter tried to hit the eagle, but it was too high. And so the hunter said, I need another feather. And so one feather after another, one feather after another was given to the hunter until finally this eagle was naked. He no longer had any feathers. And at that point in time, the hunter took advantage of this naked eagle and killed it. The plan of this envious eagle was to destroy the soaring eagle, but instead it was destroyed itself. And again, that's a fable, but it teaches us a very, very important principle. That when we seek, that when we seek the harm of other people, it will return back to us. Now, in verse 11, we find the record of it. In other words, God takes note of everything. Notice in verse 11, it says, Surely the stone will cry out from the wall, 
and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Again, look at the phrase that says, surely the stone will cry out from the wall. How many of you are familiar with that, um, that saying, it is cast in stone? All right. How, how many of you are familiar with that, being cast in stone? All right, quite a few. Well, basically, when you say cast in stone, it, it speaks about the record of it. And basically, that's the same thought here. God is taking a record of all these things. By the way, another translation of the last phrase goes, and the rafter, which says, and the rafter will answer it from the framework. Another translation goes, and the beams of the woodwork. Again, the same thought. These are figures of speech which basically state that God is witness to all these things. Could you say to your neighbor, God is witness to all things. Say it louder, please. God is witness to all things. I'd like us to reflect on Psalm 139 and verses 7 to 12. And here's what it says. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. I, if I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Again, there is nothing that we can hide from God. We can never ever hide from the presence of the Lord, which brings to mind the story of Jonah who was seemingly fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he did not want to follow the will of God. And yet, what Jonah discovered is that you can never run away, you can never flee away from the presence of God. The presence of God will always be there. Amen? Not only is our God omniscient, but our God is omnipotent and He is also omnipresent. He is present everywhere. Now, it's so difficult to wrap our brains on that because as human beings, we can only be in one place at one time. But not so with God. God is everywhere. And God is witness to everything that takes place. And that is why, again, we must always work the work of righteousness, not work the work of darkness, because God knows everything. And by the way, if we happen to be on the receiving end of injustice or on the receiving end of oppression, let me say this. God doesn't only take a record of the wrong things that are done, but He takes record of the pain and the hurts that you have. That is why one of the comforting Psalms says basically this, God has put our tears in His bottle. God has placed our tears in His bottle. What does that tell you? Every hurt, every pain, every affliction, every harm that you have experienced, 
God knows that. And let me just tell you this. You are precious in the sight of God. Amen? You are precious in the sight of God. That's why, again, we know that God will take care of everything. Now, in verses 12 to 14, we find the immoral gain of the Babylonians through violence. Now, there's a progression here because violence is already included. And once again, what we find in verse 12 is the misery of it. Notice what it says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with violence. Again, let me just recount the fact that the Babylonians built their city through bloodshed and violence. And once again, what do, what do we see here? What is the word that keeps repeating itself? The word woe once again, which again speaks of misery because of an impending judgment that is about to take place as a result of their evil deeds. I'm not sure if you still remember uh, some years back of this kidnapper who was based in Pangasinan. And if you recall that, that news item, he was able to build mansions. He was able to, uh, to accumulate concubines, so to speak. He was able to uh, buy a cockpit and he was able to buy several cars. He had numerous properties. He, he threw several parties. And how, how did he gain that? All through kidnapping. You remember the kidnapping that was taking place in Manila at that time? This guy was the mastermind of all these things. And he was gaining a lot through bloodshed and through violence. You know what happened to him? Well, you know the story. There was a nationwide manhunt for him. Again, evil does not pay. If you are able to gain through violence and bloodshed, it will not pay in the end. And that is what God is saying uh, to the Babylonians. In verse 13, we find the uselessness of immoral gain. Notice what it says here. Is it not indeed from the Lord of hosts that peoples toil for fire and nations grow weary for nothing? Now, let me ask you this question. What happens when you put certain things under fire? What's going to happen to them? They're going to burn. In other words, you will lose them. So what's the point of this particular passage? The nation Babylon was working hard to gain power. They wanted influence. They wanted wealth. But they were doing it actually for nothing. In the end, everything that they were gaining would ultimately be burned. The Bible says here, these nations grow weary for nothing. Again, let us reflect on this and think about our own state. Do we seek to gain immorally or illegally? Now, some of you might say, but Pastor Mel, don't, don't talk to me about that because after all, I'm not, I'm not a person of bloodshed. I, I, I'm not engaged in, in kidnapping. I'm not like the Babylonians. All right, fine. But again, we're not just talking about big sins here. We're not talking about immoral gain through big sins like bloodshed and violence. We're talking about immoral gain here. Whether it's big or small, it is still immoral. 
me ask you this question. If you're working in an office, do you take, do you take the, the coupon bond? Do you take one rim of coupon bond and bring it home so that your children could use it? Do you take the paper clips in your office or the staple wires in your office? Do you do that? Now you might think, well, what's the big fuss about that? That's just staple wire. That's just paper clips. That's just coupon bond. After all, this company is, is so wealthy and I'm underpaid after all. So I'm just getting these things. Friends, let me just tell you. Just because you think they're small things doesn't mean that it is not a sin. God is watching. And so once again, let's take note of these things. We might be gaining through immoral and through illegal means. And again, that is not good. Now, not only do we find the uselessness of this, but we find the defeat of it. Look at verse 14, and this is so powerful. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All of a sudden, this particular passage sticks out because the entire passage that you and I are going to study is all about judgment. In fact, the word that we often see here is the word woe, woe, woe. And all of a sudden, there's something bright and shiny in verse 14. Again, let me just read it to you. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the question is, what's the purpose of this particular verse of Scripture? What is God saying to us? Well, what God is saying is this, that all empires and all kingdoms will one day pass away. That's exactly what this verse is telling us. And what this verse is also telling us is one day the kingdom of God in the second coming of Jesus Christ will emerge and reign supreme over all the earth. And sometimes it is quite a frustrating thing especially as we take a look at the, the politics of the world and the politics even of our own nation because we see at times so much corruption, so much unrighteousness. And we would like to think that government is out there for the betterment of the people and yet sometimes it's all about filling their own pockets. And it could be frustrating at times. We could be frustrated about the politics of our nation. We could be frustrated about the politics of, of the world. But let me tell you one day, one day, God is going to cause everything to become right. Jesus Christ is going to come again. And when He comes again, He will reign not only in Jerusalem, but He will reign all over the world. And then it will be His government that will be in place. It will be a government of righteousness. It will be a government of honesty. It will be a government of peace. It will be a government of prosperity. That is exactly what is going to happen when Jesus Christ comes again. That's why, notice what this verse is saying. For the earth will be filled with what? With the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. 
When that time comes, everything will be alright. As the Bible says, as the waters cover the sea, the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now you and I, friends, sometimes cannot imagine that kind of a government. But that is the promise of Isaiah. The promise of Isaiah is that the government shall be on the shoulders of Jesus Christ. And friends, let me tell you, it's going to be a perfect government. Amen? It's going to be a perfect government. Hallelujah. So right now, we see wars taking place. Up until today, we, we would like to think that we are civilized people and we can, we can, we can actually uh, settle issues diplomatically. And even while, while in our mind we think that is possible, that is not actually what's taking place. Wars are still taking place. Nations are still hungry for power. Nations are still hungry for territory. Nations still want to emerge as the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. That's the story of the world. That was the story of Egypt. That was the story of Assyria. That was the story of Babylon. That was the story of Medo-Persia. That was the story of Greece. That was the story of Rome. That's been the story ever since time immemorial. And so friends, we take joy in the fact that one day, one day, there will only be one kingdom and it will be the kingdom of God. Amen? It will be the kingdom of God. Now in verses 15 to 17, we, we talk about the immoral gain through malicious scheming and the destruction of others. Take a look at verses 15 to 17, please. In verse 15, we find the misery of immoral gain once again through malicious scheming and destruction of others. Let me read verse 15 to you. It says, Woe to you who make your neighbors drink, who mix in your venom, even to make them drunk, so as to look on their nakedness. The picture here is that Babylon had maliciously schemed to kill her neighbors or, or the neighboring nations so that she might lustfully have all the riches of this nation to practically strip them naked. That's the picture that is being uh, uh, taught to us here. Babylon stripped naked these nations of their riches. And I'd like to quote to you Jeb Magruder who made a confession about losing his morality, and this is classic. This is what he said in his confession. He goes, I know what I have done, and your honor, speaking to the judge, and your honor knows what I have done. Somewhere between my ambitions and my ideals, I lost my ethical compass. Let me say it again. Somewhere between my ambitions and my ideals, I have lost my ethical compass. You see, the problem is the lust 
for things, at times clouds people's understanding of morality and spirituality. Some people pride themselves as being moral people, but the truth of the matter is their morality, their ethics is actually for sale if the price is right. Their ethics and their morality is actually for sale if the price is right. I don't know if you know the famous George Bernard Shaw. George Bernard Shaw, one time at a dinner gathering, was seated beside a very beautiful, very attractive woman. And he made a very indecent proposal to this woman. And let me just share to you how the indecent proposal went. He said, Madam, would you go to bed with me for a thousand pounds? And immediately the woman blushed really red and she shook her head sharply. And then George Bernard said, how about 10,000 pounds? This woman scowled at, at George Bernard Shaw and said, I would not. Then how about the sum of 50,000 pounds? Now, that's a huge amount of money. The colossal sum gave the woman a pause. And after some re reflection, she replied coyly in a whispering voice, perhaps. And all of a sudden, George Bernard Shaw said, and if I were to offer you only five pounds, Mr. Shaw declared the woman. She was so angry. She was so shocked. What do you take me for? A whore? A prostitute? And George Bernard Shaw said, we have already determined what you are. We are simply haggling the price. Some people pride themselves of morality. But if the price is right, they're willing to sell their morality. And friends, again, which brings me back to the message that the Lord spoke to me, to my heart, yesterday morning about righteousness. Regardless of what you and I feel, we must always do the right thing. Amen? Could you say to your neighbor, always do the right thing? Say to your other neighbor, always do the right thing. Now in verse 16, we find the disgrace, the decimation, and the judgment of it. Let me read to you verse 16. It goes, you will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you. And utter disgrace will come upon your glory. Now let's break this down a bit. It says you will be filled with disgrace rather than honor. Now what, what, what were the Babylonians doing? They were chasing for honor. They're, they were chasing for glory. They were chasing for power. And yet here in this, in this passage, God makes a prediction, God makes a prophecy. Instead of honor, you will have disgrace. And then it also says here, now you yourself drink and expose your own nakedness. 
What does it mean? As other nations were massacred and robbed, Babylon was, was also going to be massacred and robbed as well. And then finally, it says, The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you, and utter disgrace will come upon your glory. Now, what does, what does the cup here represent? The cup here actually represents the wrath of God. Now, what is holding that cup? The left hand or the right hand? Take a look at the passage. What is holding that, that cup? It is the right hand. Now, let me ask you this question. Normally, generally speaking, what is the strongest hand amongst many human beings? It's the right hand. Unless, of course, you're left-handed or you're ambidextrous. But normally, it's your right hand. So what do you think is this talking about? If, this, if the cup is talking about the wrath of God and the right hand happens to be the strongest hand, what this is saying is that the Babylonians would receive the full wrath of God, the full strength of the wrath of God. That is what they would receive. The hand of God would be something scary for them. As the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The great Bible scholar, E. Schuyler English, answered the phone one time because it was ringing, and it was greeted by the voice of a woman who said, Dr. English, I am calling from the Philadelphia Museum of Art. And then the woman says, the hand of God is here. Now that statement shocked him because it seemed like an odd statement. The hand of God is here. But then he, he, he recalled that several months before, he had asked if the museum's gift shop had a replica of Rodin's sculpture, which is actually called the hand of God. So what had happened was the stock had already arrived, and because the stock had arrived, this woman was merely announcing or telling Dr. Schuyler that the sculpture that he was ordering was now, was now available to be sent to him. The hand of God is here. Now, using that as an illustration, let us remember this. The hand, the hand of God is everywhere. Amen? The hand of God is everywhere. Say that to your neighbor. Give the Lord a big hand, please. And again, say that to your neighbor. The hand of God is everywhere. Let us never forget that the hand of God is everywhere. It is here, and it will move in judgment at the proper time. Their glory would be covered by this grace. And I'm just reminded of a very powerful family in our country way back in the 70s. And they had all the wealth. They had all the power. I recall that uh, the lady one time closed down Harrods Department Store in London. If you know what Harrods Department Store is, it is the most expensive department store. She had it closed down. Why? Because she wanted to do some shopping, private shopping. Sadly, their honor had turned into disgrace. 
And that's exactly what we see here in this passage. And finally, we go to the sowing of it in verse 17. It says, For the violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and the devastation of its beasts by which you terrified them because of human bloodshed and violence done to the land, to the town, and all its inhabitants. Now, why the nation Lebanon here? I'm sorry. Now, normally, here's what we think. We think that God is only watching over His chosen nation. What is God's chosen nation, by the way? It's Israel. And so we're thinking, well, God is only watching over the affairs of the nation of Israel. God is not concerned about the affairs of other nations. Well, this verse actually proves to us that God is concerned for all nations. God is watching all nations. And in this particular case, what, uh, what Habakkuk is recording for us or writing for us is the fact that Lebanon had been decimated by the Babylonians. There were a lot of people who were killed in Lebanon. And not only that, their cedar trees were cut and they were used for, for building, you know, these, these buildings of Babylon. Many of the beasts that they had were slaughtered as well. God took note of all the violence that was done to Lebanon. And God was saying, what you did to Lebanon is also going to happen to you. Again, we go back to the principle of sowing and reaping. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall also reap. This passage clearly illustrates what happens when we gain immorally at the expense of others. God who is witness will not silently take things sitting down. He will most surely bring justice at the proper time. And here's our comfort. Because our comfort as believers in Christ is this. As believers in Christ, we would like to be able to do works of righteousness. As employees, as business people, as married people, we always want to put our best foot forward and to represent the righteousness of our God. To be sure, it is actually very challenging to be righteous in this world that we're living in. Because in the world that we are living in, there are many temptations, there are many distractions. And if you work the work of righteousness, your morality is going to be challenged by people who believe in expediency, who believe in, in uh, the end justifies the means. I recall one butcher who used to attend, he used to attend our church, and he migrated to Australia. And when he migrated to Australia, he worked as a butcher. And the output that he was making was so much, and he was new in that, in that uh, company, the output that he was making was so much bigger than his contemporaries. And they got angry with him because he was working so hard. And this is what they said. Don't work too hard because you are making us look bad. Don't work too hard because you're making us look bad. And that's how this world operates. 
This world operates sometimes with, with expediency, with what is comfortable, with what is convenient. It is not concerned about righteousness. It is not concerned about morality. Well, let me tell you, dear brothers and sisters, God is watching. And promotion does not come from the east nor the west, but from the Lord God Almighty. In God's time, He will reward us. Amen? Let's bow our heads in prayer at this time. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank You for this morning, and we thank You for the powerful lesson that we received. And Lord, what a very stern warning Never ever to seek immoral gain at the expense most especially of other people. Let it be, Lord, that we would be people of honesty, people of integrity, people who gain because of hard work, diligence, and righteousness. And Lord, let it be that the world might see that just like Daniel, just like Joseph, just like Esther, just like Mordecai, you promote those who follow the path of righteousness. And so we submit ourselves to you, and we pray, Father, that justice will reign in our lives. And Lord, we pray if ever we are guilty of any form of immoral gain, any form of crab mentality, seeking to gain by destroying others. Lord, let us repent of those sins. And Lord, may we start working the work of righteousness in our lives. Lord, we thank you for today. Thank you for the powerful reminders you've given us. And Lord, we also thank you for the opportunity to give our tithes, our grace gifts, and our offerings. Lord, use them, please, for the glory of your holy name. And Lord, would you be so kind to bless us, not because we're greedy people, but because we know you are a rewarder and because you, Lord, desire that we become partners in the work of the Lord. And that is exactly what we want to do. So Lord, bless us for your sake, for the sake of your kingdom. And Lord, whatever has been achieved today, we give you back all the glory all the praises and all the thanks. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.